Welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we make sure you know there's more going on than you can see or hear. If this podcast episode helps you, would you consider leaving us a review on the app or platform you're using to listen? We appreciate it. And remember, we ain't woke, but we are certainly awake. And now, your host, Larry Ragland. Well, the DNA of greatness is in all of us. We talk about that all the time at our church. We've talked about it on this show. This is sort of a series that I'm calling the DNA of greatness, but it's really more about just dealing with emotional issues, dealing with things that have hindered people for years. Some people need deliverance from a lot of this stuff. Some people need counseling. Uh, Some people need a little bit of both. Uh, If you haven't already hit that like button, do it now. If you're watching on Facebook, Make sure that you go to YouTube tonight when this is over with. Subscribe to our channel and uh, and be a part of what we're doing on YouTube because this is the only night that we for sure are here with you on Facebook. We want to make sure that you don't miss anything that we're doing. Speaking of things that we're doing, if you're watching this live, tomorrow is the big day. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving. Tomorrow is, in my opinion, Really the greatest holiday there is. Obviously, I know Easter, resurrection, talking about the resurrection of Jesus, the birth of Christ is at Christmas. But I love Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is the only holiday that's a national holiday that still has to acknowledge God, even in the name of it. That's why they try to call it Turkey Day. So instead of getting up watching that woke parade tomorrow morning, or if you're watching this on replay, uh, let me just tell you that uh, tomorrow morning, Thanksgiving morning, 9 a.m. Central, uh, join me and Sandy and our co-host, Harper Olivia Pickle, my beautiful granddaughter, uh, will be with us as well. And you can see she was so excited to be on the show. So join us Thanksgiving uh, morning at Thursday morning, tomorrow morning, if you're watching this live, at 9 a.m., it's a, probably going to be about 30, 40 minutes on there. I know you got a lot of stuff going on. So join us, and we would love, love, love to see you. And then how about this? After all the turkey and the dressing and all that you're eating, you wind the night down with uh, start off with us on Thanksgiving and then wind the night down with Standeo. Standeo will be with us at 7 o'clock Thanksgiving night central. And you can see, is the Antichrist alive? And of course, you see that's Mohammed bin Salman uh, from Saudi Arabia and Jared Kushner, and he goes into detail about why he believes strongly that it's one of these two men. And uh, this, of course, is his opinion. Uh, so, you know, I, we, 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 that's his opinion. What I'm trying to say is I don't know if it is or not, but it's a great, great show, and that's going to be tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, so don't miss that. Thank you to all the live chat tonight filling up. Man, you guys are a blessing. Uh, if you're new to our channel tonight, you just happen to stumble across it. Maybe the, the title on the thumbnail grabs you because you're going through some stuff. Let me just tell you that, you know, also things you know, every Wednesday night at seven o'clock, we do a Bible study here. That's not just tonight. It's every Wednesday night. And then every Monday night, Sandy and I do a live breaking news show. This is my wife, my co-host at 7 PM central time. Uh, let's get into the teaching tonight. Uh, the DNA of greatness is, is, and tonight I'm calling it how to recover from abandonment. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a big one. It's a big one, and and it's a this is a this is a hot button issue. And 
I call it the DNA of greatness because we were all created in the image of God, every one of us. Now, you know, Adam was created in the image of God, and we are of the lineage of him. And so the, you know, when, when you think about that statement, we were created in the image of God, I want you to understand something. That doesn't mean that God made us the same way he made Adam. Adam was made with the hands of God. Now, God, I don't really know because I was not around when he created me, but he may create me with his hands. But, I, but there, there is a system of life that he instituted. Uh, the law of sowing and reaping in the natural realm is actually what we're talking about here because in order for someone to be born, there has to be a seed and there has to be a place for the seed to be planted and then there has to be time. And remember, he said in the garden, as long as the earth remains, there's a law called seed, time, and harvest, which will also remain. So that being said, uh, you know, that's the system that he put in place, seed, time, and harvest. And, and that is the sowing and reaping. He says, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So we know that when, when he made man and he put within Adam the seed and he made Eve and he put within the Eve the womb, which of course would be the fertile ground. That's why we, we talk about, you know, talk about thing, a woman who can't have a child is barren. A, same thing as land is barren. Uh, a, a woman who can have ch- children is regarded to as fertile. We look at the ground and the ground is fertile. So we see... So many times in Scripture, God uses the natural to teach us spiritual principles. So when he made man and woman, Adam and Eve in the garden, he put within them the things that they needed to create life. Now, watch this. The powerful thing is every single time that happens, from the very beginning with Adam and Eve all the way up to your mama and your daddy, regardless of the relationship you have with your mom and your daddy, that same system of conception was in play. There was a seed somewhere, even if it was artificially inseminated. I don't want to get too detailed. You know what I'm talking about. There was a seed provided by a dude somewhere. Okay, that's the way it works. So, uh, so, w- but when that happens, when the the man and the woman come together, and conception happens. All the way back to the garden, that, that was called the bloodline. And the, re, the old way they would call it would be the bloodline. But now what we would really say is the DNA. So because there, there are genetics in play that, uh, that, are in, that, that pass down through the blood. And that's why the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So DNA, the, when I say the DNA of greatness that doesn't necessarily mean that your father or your mother was a great successful business person or a great successful uh, person financially uh, and so forth. So that being the case, um, you know, that they passed down greatness because they were successful in life. Well, no, that's I'm, when I say the DNA of greatness, I mean the DNA of God because God put the DNA of himself into Adam. So everything that came from Adam, we are, even if it's a tiny, minuscule amount, we are traced back to Adam. So therefore, the DNA that is in Adam 
Oh, praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. The DNA that is in Adam was in Adam is in us. In, 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 even if it's minuscule in the natural, but also in the spirit. So the DNA of greatness is within you. Now, I'm going to share a little bit about my testimony tonight when it comes to DNA. Now, if you watched last week, you know a little bit about this story. And certainly if you've read my book, uh, you know pretty much most of my story. And if you haven't read my book, all you got to do is go to um, LarryRagnon.com. When you go to LarryRagnon.com, you can click on the book there. I see greatness in you. And that's why it's called the DNA of greatness because of what is in this book that I have to, you know, that I have to break down with you. And it was very difficult for me to do that. But, uh, but I did. And because I felt like I needed to share my heart, you can also partner with us, read our uh, blogs on the Epoch Times, uh, watch our television shows and so forth. But uh, in, in, in the book, I detail, you know, what happened to me, what happened to me from my father uh, from the moment that I came into this life, uh, you know, I have a few memories. I'm 55 years old right now. I have a few memories uh, that were, I would call pretty good memories with my dad. You know, there were some things that I would I would consider them to not be bad memories. But I'll be honest with you, most of the memories that I have, because, you know, I was only lived with him up until I was 10 years old, were pretty difficult. And then afterwards, uh, all the way through my teenage years, uh, and into my adult life, my interaction with him or lack thereof uh, was very scarring as well. But I want to show you something. I want to. I want to go. I want to go to the scripture, and it's it's found in Genesis one twenty six, and it says, "Then God said, um, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle." and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we know that the word of God teaches us, as we just read, that we were created in the image of God. And this was speaking of Adam, but the DNA of Adam is in us and the DNA of God is in us. Now my heart for the rest of this teaching tonight, and if you hadn't smashed that like button, do it now. Uh, and if it seems like I'm a little distracted, it's because I am a little distracted because the enemy, the devil doesn't ever really want me to talk about this because it's it's very difficult for me to talk about it. Um, you know, so well, I thought you, I thought this was all about how to recover from being abandoned. Are you not free? Well, if, yes, I am free, but I'm still human and there are still scars that are inside of me from some of the things that were, were, were happened to me and some of the things that were done to me. So if I can, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna just stop for a minute here and just share my testimony just a little bit more uh, tagged on last week. And if you didn't watch last week, go back and watch it after this, last Wednesday night on the DNA of greatness. But, but you know, at, at the opening chapter of my book, I deal with a story that, um, my mother, um, hang on just a second. My mother, um, she told me the story of the night that she was married, the night of the wedding. And the night that they were wedding, this is chapter one of my book, she told me that she was in love with my dad and that she felt like she was going to have a good life with him. She really had only now looked back retroactively, she, she saw some things 
when they were dating, but really not wasn't expecting anything like it was going to be. But on the night of their their wedding, um, and I don't know where they were at. They might have been at their house or something. I don't think they went on the honeymoon or anything. But her her favorite thing to watch and listen to in the world until the day she went on from this world and went to be with the Lord was Elvis Presley. She loved Elvis Presley. And so so she was watching Elvis on TV, on a little black and white TV, on the night of their wedding. Uh, my dad had stepped into another room and the TV was on and she was watching it and she was enamored by Elvis. And uh, he, came, he came into the room and saw her just sort of gazing. And he was so very jealous. And uh, he basically slapped her across the room. And this is, this is what my mother told me. And uh, did some other things that night as well. So their, their opening uh, night of their marriage, the beginning of their marriage was was one of abuse, and it repeated itself uh, through many, many years. And now, fast forward to me, for those that know me, um, my mother did not have me, and you can figure this out on your own, until she was 30 years old. So she did not have a child. She had married right out of high school, and she did not have a child until she was 30, and that was me. And then later on, five years later, she had my brother. These are the only children that she had. So um, during that time of the years that she was married until then, she was abused verbally, she was abused physically, and she was driven um, to desire to be loved and to be cared for. And that caused her to be involved with another man. And that man, um, while she was married, was my biological father. And so that's how we got to that part of my life, okay? So if you were listening last week, I believe I covered it last week. Um, at age 10, uh, my mother had finally, she had threatened to leave my father many times, and at age 10, she finally got the strength to leave. And that was the the scene that is one of the most traumatic scenes in my book, Um where I talk about where he loads a twelve a double barrel twelve gauge shotgun, and comes in to the living room, and I'm replaying it in my mind right now because I can see it, and that was 45 years ago. But uh, he loaded it, put both barrels in his mouth, and uh, grabbed my little finger and put it on the trigger and began to scream at me to pull the trigger, and of course I was not going to do it, and I was screaming and begging him to to not make me do what he was trying to get me to do. and But it was all a part of manipulation, and it was him trying to scare my mother into staying. Well, somehow, uh, and she did, she did, just briefly for a little bit longer. And it uh, wasn't long after that, another thing happened, not as quite as drastic as that, so she finally left. All this is in the book. So we went into hiding, and uh, because we... My mother did not know what he was going to do. Well, he found us, and I was maybe close to 11 by then. Uh, and when he found us, he came in, same type of spirit, but this time with a revolver, and stuck it to the side of his head and threatened that he was going to go finish the job. But he wanted me to see him because he wanted me to know, and he said with his mouth to me, that uh, he was going to go finish it. And that when he did, that 
he wanted me to know that for the rest of my life, I would be the reason that he did it and that I would basically um, de facto be the one that did it. And it just was, man, can you imagine? I mean, that's a lot to take if you're a teenager or a young adult, but I was little, maybe maybe 11, probably a little bit under 11 years old, close to 11. And that's when I screamed out, um, you know, I wish that man was not my father. And, of course, at that moment that my mother screamed, he's not. And so when he said that, when she said that, I was shocked and I was stunned. And she began to tell me about this man who was my father. And you got to understand that when she began to tell me about this man that was my father, she told me about a man that she loved dearly, that had loved her dearly, and that knew about me and loved me. And she, I, I, I mean, I look back on it now. I mean, I was a kid. I mean, there's no way for me to process adult emotions, but now I look back on it and I see that she was just still enamored by this man. So she built him up so high that most of my childhood, I dreamed of this man. But I was told that I could not tell anybody. So from age 10 to my 10th grade in, year in high school, only my best friend and maybe one other person knew, and that was it. And they didn't even know everything. They just knew enough to know, enough to get it off my chest. But it was a top secret thing. Nobody knew it. My brother didn't know it. Uh, all Every other friend that I had didn't know it. People in my family didn't know it. My cousins didn't know it. My own brother didn't know it. And so my, my dream was when I was in the 10th grade, I'd already started thinking about this. I knew I had two more years of school. I was not, I was going, if I didn't play college football, I wasn't going to go to college. I was thinking I might play college football, but whatever. I was like, when I get through with school, I'm going to, I'm going to make some money and I'm going to hire a detective because I saw that's how you do it in the movies. And I was going to hire somebody to find this man. And um, so my plan was, you know, let's just get through school and then I'm going to find this man. Well, I don't want to go into too much detail about it, but the way I found my father is one of the most amazing things. That if I did not live it, I would not even believe that it's real because it is truly like a movie. Uh, I did not have to look for my father. I look so much like my biological father. My mannerisms, my, the way I laugh, my voice, the way it sounds, the way I would turn my head. I had no idea that my DNA was so strong in me from my biological father that I was sitting in class my 10th grade year and a girl that had left our school when we were in the sixth grade had come back and she kept staring at me and going, that's weird, that's weird, that's weird. I can't believe this. And by, by just me, the way I just talked and laughed, I reminded her so much of someone that she knew. And she kept saying it, and it just got on my nerves. And I eventually just said, who are you talking about? And she said, my stepfather. And I said, okay, whatever. And I said, well, what is your stepfather's name? And when she told me his first name, I literally about fell out of the chair because it was the name of my biological father. 
And I was just like, there's no way. There's just no way. I was in the 10th grade. I had told no one except two people. I was like, there's just no way. And I said, okay, what's his last name? And they told me, she told me his last name. And it was the last name of my biological father. And I was just, I was in shock. And I needed one more thing to confirm. I said, I need you to tell me his birthday. She said, why would you do that? I said, just tell me his birthday. And, and she did. And it was his birthday. And I realized, oh, my goodness, what in the world is that? And I just, I just ran out of the classroom, went to the bathroom, threw up. I just was sick at my stomach, got in my car and left. Drove home and told my mother. She couldn't believe it. She had not heard from him. She had no idea where he lived. This girl had told me where he was living. It wasn't that far from where we lived. She couldn't believe it. She said, let's call the operator. So back then you had to call the operator. He called the operator and asked if there was anybody by that name in that particular town. And there was three. And I called um, the first one. And as soon as the voice came on the phone it was a very deep voice and uh i froze and didn't say anything i literally was speechless just hearing this man's voice i didn't know if this was because there was three names I had to go through i didn't know if this was him or not and in the silence where i froze if you can imagine this 10th grade in high school with no words from me this man said, Larry, is that you? And I was just like, it's me. And I said, I'm going to ask you one question. Are you my father? And he said, yes, I am, son, and I love you. And I've waited your whole life for this day. And I hung up the phone hung up on him well it wasn't long after that that I met him spent the night with him I was living the dream I was a jock in high school I was the cool football player all this now I had this super superhero dad and my life was my life was laid out in front of me now. I knew exactly, man, great things are happening to me for the first time in my life. And six months later, he was gone. I detail it all in my book. I don't really want to talk about that all that part right now, but you can read it. Six months later, he looked at me and he said, I'm going to tell you something, boy. I love your mother. I always have loved your mother. I love her to the day I die. And I love you, but I don't like you. You're a punk. I've raised, I've raised girls, and I'm not raising a punk teenage boy. Just brass. I mean, I was broken. I started crying. I'm so sorry that I acted the way I did. Please forgive me. And I thought, I thought he did. I mean, I really did. I mean, I, honestly, I, I I thought this was just a, a a time of just having a disagreement with my new dad that had only been in my life for six months. Well, he drove away, and that was it. He was gone. He turned his back and left me and abandoned me. So that's why I call that 
this show how to recover from abandonment because I got some serious daddy issues. Okay. I've been dropped by two fathers. I have, I was verbally and physically abused by one father and I was abandoned and dropped. And quite frankly, it was even more painful for my biological father dropped me and abandoned me than it was when I was abused. Because if you think about it, Yes, I was a child, and those scars are still with me, but we were gone by the time I was 10. I was an impressionable teenager who had finally, after from age 10 to probably age 16, I had dreamed of having a man, a father figure in my life, and now I had it. Now I knew I was going to know how to be a husband. I knew I was going to know how to be a father. And Six months later, gone. So that, of course, can you can imagine, crushed me. I was I I I, I used the in the book I talk about Mephibosheth, one of my favorite people in Scripture, and he was you know the grandson of King Saul. And when Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle, Jonathan was his father. When they were both killed, his caretaker heard the news and she dropped him. And when she dropped him, she was holding him. The news had came that her, that his grandfather and his father had been killed. And she dropped him, and when she did, she dropped Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth broke his back, and he was crippled, and he was lame. And, of course, in those days, that disqualified him. He lost everything. He lost his rights to the throne. He lost everything. And, and you know, he was banished to a deserted place called Lodabar, which is basically the bottom of the bottom. And so I relate to that because I was dropped, and then I was dropped again. And, and when, when you get dropped and you are abandoned by someone that you love, it will set you on a course that a lot of times will end in, in very badly. It will end prison time. You will end even in death. And I, I really do believe that I was heading in the direction of probably both of them, prison and or early death. I don't think I would have been alive. I would be alive today if it were not for some of this sequence of events that God did in my life to cause me to recover from that spirit of abandonment. Now, now I will say this, that one other time I saw my, my biological father. I got when Sandy and I got married. Uh, we were married within our, within the first few months of our marriage. We're living in our little single wide mobile, mobile home. And uh, I had already, before we got married, I'd already told her everything about my life. And, uh, I just said, look, I, I could probably find him if you would like to meet him. And she said, I would love to meet him. So I did. I, I, I successfully found him, and I told him, I said, Dad, I, I got married. I got I'm married to this beautiful young lady. Uh, we're serving the Lord. Uh, we're living in our home here. Um, no pressure, but if you'd like to meet my wife, she said she'd like to meet you. He said, yeah, I'd like to meet him. So I was so excited. Uh, because you know, you understand, I was in my early twenties. This uh, and and the last time I had seen him was when he left, when I was in the tenth grade. So I knew he was coming to my house, you know, and I was mentally preparing myself again. Y'all, y'all, y'all see where I'm going? I'm like, okay, okay, now, now, now I'm a da I'm a man. Now I'm a dad. I mean, not a dad yet, but I'm a husband. You know. 
I'm not a punk kid anymore. I got a job, you know, I'm working. Provide, I got a home. I got a wife. Maybe this is going to be the time. And, uh, you know, I got my hopes up. And uh, I'm not trying to beat him up. I'm not trying to beat people down. Listen, I love them, but this is a part of my story, okay? And I know they have families out there. And if and if if you're tied to his family, please understand I'm not bitter. Please understand this is not me trying to throw somebody because I can't imagine the emotions that was going through his mind either because you know he had his own separate family out there that didn't involve me. So I'm not I'm not condemning. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter towards my my first father. If you read if you read my book, you know I forgave him. We had talk. We had a talk. But this is a part of my story. And if I don't tell this part of my story, then you're not going to understand where I'm going and how God helped me and how he can help you. But uh, he showed up that night at my house, and he met Sandy. And um, we had a very cordial conversation. And, uh, you know, my heart was racing the whole night. And uh, so it was finally winding down, and I was walking him to the door. And uh, basically just me and him. And I was waiting for what was going to happen. And he was very nice, uh, and he said something that was very true. He said, well, I'll tell you one thing. You've got good taste. Uh, she's beautiful. And I said, well, thank you. Thank you so much. I agree with you, you know, and, and that was it. That was it. And uh, I didn't see him again until he had passed away, and I was at his funeral. Well, you know, I have debated and debated and debated for years telling this story. Do you understand that it was, I know it's easy for people to, and I may get already comments saying, man, you need to move on. I have moved on. And some people think, well, it's not godly for you to speak ill of these two men. I'm, I'm really trying not to. I never named in my, in my, in my book. Um, I've never really, I don't think publicly ever said the name of my biological father. But I get what I get where you're coming from if you feel that way. But that's not what my intentions are. My intentions are to tell you that I have been pastoring now the same church for 29 years. I've been in ministry for close to 33 years. I cannot tell you how many men and women that have gone through abandonment, that have gone through abuse, that are afraid to tell their story. They're afraid for people to know. Can I tell you that before I wrote my book, my children, my two daughters were grown, and they never knew this. They never knew this about me. I never spoke of this publicly. Before the book came out, I mean, I had wrote most all of the book before I set my grown children down and said, I need to tell you something about your father. Because all their life they had wondered, why does my dad, why, why does my dad's dad not want to have anything to do with me? Because they knew that he lived around in this area. Well, they did not know that I had um, another father. They had no idea. They had lived their whole life. I'd never spoke of him. I'd never spoke ill of my named father. Uh, I would just say when they'd say why don't we have another granddaddy and stuff like that? I would just say, well, you know, life took a different turn. It's okay. It's okay. And I would quickly change the subject because I don't want to speak ill of anyone. Both of my fathers are 
going on. And both of them, I believe, are with the Lord. But another reason that I didn't want to share this story is I did not want to hurt my mother because I wanted to honor my mother. And just before I wrote the book, I, I, I couldn't hold it any longer, and Sandy and I met with my mom. And I told her what I wanted to do, that I wanted to tell our story because it's an incredible story. And I said, but mom, if you're not comfortable with people knowing this, I respect that, and I won't write this book. And I won't tell you exact words what my mother said. Some of you know, but it was raw. My mother was something else, y'all. And uh, But she looked at me, and she said, she said, I'm not proud of what I did, but I'm proud of what I got. I'll never forget those words. She said, son, write the book. Write the book. She said, I don't care what people think about me because I'm proud of what I got out of it. She's talking about me. So I wrote the book, and it, it took me having to deal with the issues. Even though Sandy had sowed those words, I said, greatness in you, and it changed my life. And, and we had had a life where we had raised two daughters, and, and we had pastored churches and gone through building programs and seen miracle after miracle. I still had to sit in that hotel room, and I had to deal with, as a grown man, a father, a husband, a pastor, I had to deal with abandonment. I had to deal with, yeah, two men for whatever reason who knew what they went through with their father. I found out later, found out later that my, my first father had very similar issues with his own father. He explained so much to, about it, it to me. Also, I, I realized later, that because I looked so much like my biological father, that he probably knew for, a long, for most of my life that I was not his, and it caused a lot of this. All that being said, I, I'm trying to say that I, I don't judge and I understand um, where they were coming from. So when I dealt, when I had to deal with it, when I wrote this book, I didn't have to deal with forgiveness because I had already forgiven. In fact, I had prayed many times for both of my fathers, and I was excited to know that my father was serving in church and that he was a man of God, and that you know he just wasn't in my life, and that's okay. So I'm trying my best to speak highly. I'm very nervous about even saying all this, to be honest with you. I would not planned on this. I took my notes off the screen a long time ago. I'm just speaking from my heart. Who knows if I'll, if I go back and delete this or not, I don't know. But it's not because I'm bitter, and it's not, I'm, I promise you it's not. It's not because I'm even still hurt, because I'm, I'm free. I'm completely free but I can tell you what I had to deal with in that hotel room and what I've had to deal with a couple of times, few few times in my life when these things would creep back up, that feeling of dropped, that feeling of brokenness, that feeling of abandonment, is I had to, number one, forgive. 
So I'm telling you right now that if you've been abandoned, especially if there's no chance of them coming back in your life because they're no longer here with us, or maybe you don't know how to, you don't even know who they are. You don't, some of you don't even, you never even heard the name of your father. You have no idea who your father or even your mother is, some of you. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with an orphan spirit? How do you deal with nobody? Why didn't they want me? Maybe, maybe, maybe you were adopted and you, some of you were put in foster situations, foster homes, and some of them were very difficult. Some of them were, abusive in, them, in themselves. Some of you were raised in an, an amazing adoptive family, but it's never, you've never quite been able to deal with, why did they not want me? Why, why was I not enough? What could have been so bad for them to just want me? That's the spirit of abandonment. That's, that's the attack of an orphan spirit in and when 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 it's, when someone feels abandoned, when someone feels like that they were not enough, they begin to blame themselves. They begin to say, "Well, it must have been my, it must have been me. It must have been my fault. Something must have been wrong with me." And I had to go through that. I be, I was like, "Why? Why? Why? What was it about me? I mean, I was a punk kid. I was a punk teenager. I mean, isn't every teenage boy a punk?" I mean, I had to deal with that. What, what was so bad about me? I was not a drug addict. I was, you know, I was just a jock. But, but it wasn't about that. I had, to, I had to understand. I had to forgive because I had to understand now that I'm a man and even a papa myself, you don't know what people are going through. You don't know what they're dealing with. You don't know what kind of pressures they're under. You don't know what kind of pressures are coming from their home life. You know, hey, you, you bring him in, you're going to mess up our whole life. I get it now. But that is, that is not what heals the spirit of abandonment. The only thing I'm convinced of this, you can get counseling, you can, you, you can even have the hands laid on you, prayer. But I'm telling you, you have to get to the point where you it becomes real to you. What I'm about, what I want to show you, man. I've just I've blown up my notes. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing right now. Like I said, y'all y'all might y'all might be the only one that ever sees this because I I may end up going back and deleting this. I don't know. I don't know what all I've said tonight. <sighs> It's Thanksgiving Eve, and I'm so thankful. I am so thankful for my life. So thankful for my wife and my beautiful daughters and my grandchildren. People have asked me, Larry, if you could go back and change what happened to you, would you do it? Nobody believes me, but I mean this. My answer is no. I wouldn't change anything about either one of my fathers. I wouldn't change anything about my mother. I wouldn't change anything about my life because it has made me understand pain. It has made me who I am. And it's made you who you are. This is what you got to get. 
He said, I'll be a father to the fatherless, of the fatherless, and a defender of widows. Think about it. Father, fatherless and widows are put in the same sentence. Why? Because both deal with the loss of a man. One is a father, the other is a husband. Meaning there is such a role of manhood that is supposed to be involved in the development of a child and a person. Not to negate the power of a woman, not to negate the power of a mother. I mean, nothing can be said about the power of a mother. But that's why the world has come against fathers. That's why the world has come against marriage. Because these are things that was ordained by God to fill gaps in our life and to mold us and to shape us. And when they're not in our lives or if they're not operating correctly in our lives, it scars us all the way to the depths of who we are. And I don't care how old you get. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how famous you become. It doesn't fix. It doesn't fix the situation. The only thing that fixes the situation is you must let God the Father become our Father. I want you to think about how powerful of a statement that is. He's a father to the fathers and a defender of the widow. But let's go back to Jesus. Jesus was dealing with his disciples, and his disciples noticed how powerful he would come back, more powerful. He's always equally powerful, but as the man who happened to be God, he would come back just different when he was praying by himself with his father. And he would say things like, I and the father are one. I don't do anything unless the father tells me to do it. And, and they asked him when they said, you're always telling us about your father. When you go spend time with your father, Lord, teach us how to pray like you. And he says, okay, pray after this manner. Our father who art in heaven. How powerful. He's trying to tell us before we can be completely reconciled, before we can feel that we are delivered from the sense of abandonment, either in the natural or in the spiritual, we must, we must have a relationship with our Father, the, the, the original provider of the DNA of who we are. Our Father. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night and says, how can I be a part of your crew? How can I follow you? He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus was like, what does that mean? I got to go back in my mother and be born again? No, Nicodemus, I'm trying to teach you a spiritual principle. What is done of the flesh is the flesh. You were born of your mother in the flesh, but what is done of the spirit is spirit. But even the very act of being born again is the role of a father is so imperative because you can't be born in the natural without a seed and you can't be born in the spirit without a seed. The seed is the word of God. So it's all about reconciling with your father. And here's the thing about our Father, our Father which, is art, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here's what's so awesome about him. 
He has never one time ever abandoned you. He has never forgotten you. In fact, the Bible tells us that he knew you before you were even formed in the mother, in your mother's womb. You're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to get some counseling. You're going to have to get prayer. You're going to need to be honest. Deal with your feelings honestly. But ultimately, you've got to, you've got to give them to God, your Father. And you've got to let him fill the gap of your father that abandoned you and your mother that abandoned you. That's how you deal with abandonment. Wow. I've never done a show like that. Just speaking out of my heart. Can I pray for you? I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I sense in my spirit right now, alive and on the replay on this Thanksgiving Eve. There's some people crying. There's some people angry, dealing. Things are running through their head. Why? Why me? What was so wrong about me? Why? Why did he not want me? Why did she not want me? I don't know the answers. I don't know the answers to your to your situation. And you know what? At 55 years old, I still don't know the answers to mine. I've still never been told by either one, and now they're gone. Why? Maybe that was the difficult part. It's not being able to really sit down and have that talk. Why? But the reality is this. I didn't ultimately need to know why. I needed to know who. And he's not just this man sitting in the clouds. Oh, he's real. God is real. And he's my father. So I forgave both of them. And a thousand pounds lifted off of me. And then God sent me men in my life to show me how to be a man. And he'll do the same for you. He'll send women to show you how to be a woman. Father, in the name of Jesus, every person that's watching this right now that's dealing with a spirit of abandonment, an orphan spirit, everyone that's been dropped, everyone that's been broken, everyone that's watching this live or on the replay that are dealing with issues right now, they are wrecked. Because what happened to me pales in comparison to what happened to some of you. Because some of you were violated. Some of you were horrific things were done to you that I can't even imagine. In your mind, you're like, how do I get over this? How do I get beyond this? In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit invade this room where they're at. Holy Spirit invade that car, that cube, wherever they're at, wherever they're listening and watching I declare in the name of Jesus that demon of hell that has had a stronghold over them, over their mind, that has defined the choices of their life, is over tonight. In the name of Jesus, I command you to loose them now. And if that's you, 
look, all the authority I have is to speak the name of Jesus, but you've got to tell it to go. You need to tell that devil, get your hand off of me. I release them. I forgive them. I will not hold this another day. I will not stay in this pit another day. I will not be in this prison another day. I am free from my past. I am free from what they said about me and what they did to me. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you just ask him, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I make you Lord and Savior over my life. Be my Father. Be my Father. In Jesus' name. Well, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen with this show. If this blessed you, um, really all I'm asking you to do is hit the like button. Very few likes tonight. I don't know if that's because you are just listening, but if you can at this moment, hit the like button, help us out. Subscribe if you're, if you're new here and, uh, maybe you just happened to see the title and you came in here and you've watched it and you're like, who is this guy? Well, just watch, subscribe to our channel, like our channel, and uh, there's a lot more stuff out there for you that I think can help you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for all those that watching tonight. And I'm okay, y'all. I'm okay. I'll, look, I'll see y'all in the morning if you're watching this live Thursday, Thanksgiving Day at 9 a.m. Central. Me, my lovely wife, and my grandbaby will all be there and we can't wait to spend Thanksgiving morning with our big picture family. I love you. God bless you. And remember, we ain't woke, but we certainly are awake. And thank you. Thank you tonight for letting me just speak my heart. And uh, let me know in the comments or the live chat uh, what you should I keep it or should I just file it and archive it and let it just be for a special night just for those that got to see it. God bless. Have a great night. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Big Picture Podcast. We hope it helped you, encouraged you, and empowered you. Please consider leaving us a review on your app of choice and share with family and friends. And remember, we ain't woke, but we are certainly awake.